Campfire Classics is a classic literature podcast. However, your hosts will occasionally use not-so-classy language and immature humor to describe very mature situations. As such, listener discretion is advised. Hi, I'm Ken Sandberg. And I'm Emily Bosco. Welcome to Campfire Classics, where we try to read those books that look really good on your shelf. And bibbidi boobity bop. It's um, is it Cinderella. Beauty? Cinderella. Yes. I knew it was one of those <laughs> old, the old princess yep. movies. And I've clearly got it on the brain. Magicabula, <laughs> I was just going to say. I hope I'm not quizzed on what the actual lyrics are because when I sing it, it comes out something like Alakamula, Bitsakabula, Bibbidi Bobbidi Boo. I mean, the Bibbidi Bobbidi Boo is correct, but everything before that, right. the consonants, I mean, just who knows? Who knows? It's it's a free for all. It, well, yeah. It, that's <laughs> I feel that way about a lot of songs. Like, yeah. I'm pretty good at singing along so long as no one is actually watching to see if my mouth is making the right words. Correct. Um, <laughs> but as soon as, uh, as soon as anyone cares what I'm actually saying, it's all over. <laughs> um, so, uh, hello listeners. How you doing? And, um, because you mentioned quizzes, uh, I'm going to jump right into this episode's little surprise, <gasps> which is a little bit of play along at home and a little bit of let's see if Ken can embarrass his co-host. Oh my God. I'm scared. <clears throat> I'm scared. Uh, so this new segment does not have a title yet. And I swear to God, one of these days I'm going to put together another episode of True Crimes and a Lie. I just, it takes a lot of work to get that up yeah. and running. And I haven't, I've got, I have, I have the stories for two <laughs> episodes of True Crimes and a Lie ready to go. I just oh. haven't gotten around to it yet. So listeners, um, I'm putting out this request nice and early in the episode. <laughs> if you want to hear some more True Crimes and a Lie, please email us. Email us at 5050 artsproduction at gmail.com or message us at one of the social medias and say true crimes and a lie or something like that. <laughs> um, Cause if we have requests, I'll make it happen. However, this week we're not doing true crimes and a lie. We're doing a different sort of quiz. Uh, What's it's about to happen. It's, it's a first lines quiz. Oh, okay. Um, it's not songs, it's novels. Oh, I'm going to do so bad. I'm so and excited. So these, these are the first lines of novels. I, I have a list of like 150 of them. I've only selected out a small handful and we'll stop when it stops being fun. Fun. Um, I think the ones that I've picked are all originally English language novels. Great. Yes. Okay. So we're not dealing with any translations, um, but they do uh, range from the early 1800s all the way up through the late 20th century. Oh boy. I'm about to shame Boston University, so, which gave me an English degree. Which gave you your English yep. degree. <laughs> uh, so I think we've started with a, with a, a slow pitch down the middle of the plate okay, okay. to use a sports metaphor okay, great. that I think I used correctly, you know. <laughs> You know how good I am at sports. Um, and listeners, 
please play along at home and let me know how you do because I, I want to know what you score. So here's number one. Okay. The first line from this uh, this novel is call me Ishmael. Oh, um, um, uh, the, the whale, Moby Dick. That's correct. Uh, <laughs> not, it's not for, called the whale. Moby it's Dick. not called the whale. Uh, for bonus points, can you give me either the author or the year? Moby Dick by Ernest Hemingway. Nope. <laughs> Moby Dick by... <laughs> wait, don't tell me. I'm going to get it. Wait, wait, don't tell me. <laughs> I don't know. Herman Melville. Melville. Yep. Huh. Herman Melville. Okay, great. <laughs> All right. That was round one. Round two. I'm. If the goal of this game is to embarrass me, it's, it, you've already succeeded. I'm thoroughly embarrassed. No, already. you you got you got the first one. You got you got the right book. Oh, you God. just couldn't remember the author's name. Oh. It was a bright, cold day in April, and the clocks were striking thirteen. Oh my! Oh, I have no idea. I've never heard that before. Oh. Well, then you have never read the novel 1984 by George no, Orwell. I have not. <laughs> um, all right. Uh, I think we're probably going to do five. I'm going to skip the next one because it doesn't look as fun in the context of doing five. Ah, here we go. Okay, cool. There was a boy called Eustace Clarence Scrub, and he almost deserved it. Oh. I don't know, but it's so cute. Eustace. Eustace Clarence Scrub. And I will give you a hint that I I don't know if it will help you or not. Eustace Scrub is a character in the Narnian Chronicles. Okay. So it's one of those books. Oh, okay. There was a character named. There was a boy called Eustace Clarence Scrub, and he almost deserved it. One of those books. Mm. Prince Caspian? Nope. Nope. Lime with the wardrobe. Voyage of the Dawn Treader. Oh. Voyage of the Dawn Treader by C.S. Lewis. Okay, that's probably the last one I would have guessed, so I don't feel so bad. Fair enough. (laughs) So that's three. Uh, Here we go. This this is one that... Your listeners are so much better read than I am. I'm sure they're getting them all. This is one that if you don't get, just turn in your cap and gown. Hang it up. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. It is a truth universally acknowledged that <gasps> I, a single man in possession of a good fortune must be in want of a wife. Wife, I knew. I was looking at you, and I said, "If he doesn't give me pride and prejudice, that has an iconic opening line that I uttered at the beginning of our production of Pride and Prejudice, I will be mad." By Jane Austen. Yep. Uh, all right. So you're you're two for four. Okay. Uh, this is this is the tiebreaker to see if you're over under is. Oh boy. Uh, 50%. Okay. Um, oh, oh God. Let's do one that I don't know if you'll know, but there's a decent chance you <laughs> might. Thank you. You're very kind. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. I don't know if you're familiar. In my younger and more vulnerable years, my father gave me some advice that I've been turning over in my mind ever since. I, Often I, referred to I as the great American novel. I know it. I've read it, but I don't know which one it is. Um... The great American novel. Dickens? No. Is not American. Not American. <laughs> That's English. <laughs> I don't know. It's Gatsby. Oh! You know, that flashed through my mind, but I didn't settle on it. Okay, I feel better knowing it at least. It yep. passed through. <laughs> that is that is Gatsby. 
The Great Gatsby by F. Scott Fitzgerald. That's a good book. I knew uh, I had read it, but I was like, I don't know which, which one. So that was, how, good. that was a good game. That's a fun game, right? I've got lots more. Oh God! How, how'd you do, listener? Did you enjoy that one? Uh, did did you did you have more success than Emily or less success than Emily? Oh, definitely more. Um, it's tough too because the the opening. I mean, the opening line of a book can be iconic, and it can have very much to do with like the book itself. But sometimes they're just they don't really have. I don't know. It's not what you would think of when you think of the book itself. Yeah. One of them, one of them that I briefly uh, considered and then tossed out was somewhere in La Mancha, in a place whose name I do not care to remember, a gentleman lived not long ago. One of those who has a lance and ancient shield on a shelf and keeps a skinny nag and a greyhound for (laughs) racing. But yeah. I figured that's a little. That one's, that one's great. It tells you exactly what you're in for. Here's yep. what the book's about. <laughs> here, here you go. Here's Don Quixote from yeah, La Mancha. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I decided against that I one. Love it. But there were, there were... Gra- what's um? You have Grapes of Wrath on there. Um, I don't think that is in this list that I have put oh, together okay. yet. No. Um, I was briefly thinking of that for um the Great American Novel, but yeah. Uh, um, anyway, so that's uh, my fun little game for today. Fun. Hope you enjoyed it, listener. I hope you did well. Uh, and ordinarily, we would have done more stuff before that hit, but <laughs> you mentioned quiz, and I said, okay, we can quiz. That's a good segue. He said, I'm coming into my segue. <laughs> We're coming in hot. <laughs> well, it also it makes me want to go back and uh, supplement my like high school education that clearly has holes in it yeah. as as all educations do <laughs> um so hi listener welcome uh welcome to campfire classics this is not a quiz podcast but it is a literature podcast mm-hmm. so for a wonder we're about 11 and a half minutes into recording this episode and we've actually mostly been on topic wow which is it's shocking kind of disconcerting <laughs> it makes me feel a little icky on the inside to, to you be... didn't have to say like this is not a puzzle cast this is not an oscar cast yeah this is not there's, a... there's no there's <laughs> none of that it's just it's just Babies. like yes this is a literature <laughs> podcast welcome to the party um, however ordinarily what we do uh is not quiz each other on random bits of literature memorabilia that's the wrong word literature knowledge mm. Lit nostalgia. I don't know. It's yeah. not a quiz show. It is a comedy podcast where we take turns attempting to read short stories that we drag up from the public domain and laugh at all of the hilarious mistakes yeah. that pop up along the way. I would say succeeding. Succeeding to read short stories. Frequently succeeding. Yeah, yeah. Frequently <laughs> succeeding. But since the tagline is trying. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, let me not go picking mm. apart the tagline. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, so that's what we're going to do uh, for you here today is read you a story. And I have selected a story for Emily to read to you today. Yay. But first, uh, I thought you might want a little bit of background on this week's author. Is it a scary, is it scary background? He is n- new. I don't think so. Oh, the okay. background isn't scary. And I don't think the story is. I don't know. I haven't read it. That's part of the point. But first. I was just being dramatic. <laughs> it's um, almost so like he studied drama or something. Or something. Fucking drama kids. Drama kids. Uh, so, fun facts. 
So this week's author is a Scotsman named Ooh. Andrew Lang. Okay. He wrote short stories, novels, and poetry, and is also known as a contributor to the field of anthropology and as a collector of folklore and fairy tales. Nice. So he was born in Selkirk in Scotland uh, in 1844, and not much is widely available about his childhood. He seems to have been reasonably well off, but not like extravagantly wealthy or Mm -hmm. anything. Um, But he was well educated. He attended St. Andrews and he developed a reputation for being one of the most capable and versatile writers of the day. Yay. In 1875, he married Leonora Blanche Elaine Ale. I have no idea how to pronounce her last name. A L L E Y N E. Something Scottish. Yeah. Uh, she was also an author and translator who was, or at least should have been, credited as a collaborator on Lang's fairy tale collections, of which there are 25. Oh, oh my God. Sometimes she was credited, sometimes she wasn't, but apparently her contribution to these works was significant. In fact, most of the work for them was done by her and a team of mostly female assistants. Sounds about right. In the preface for the lilac fairy book, uh, all of them have color names. They are the the green fairy book, the blue fairy book, the lilac fairy book, um, which is why they're called Lang's Rainbow Fairy Tales. Oh, so cute. Uh, He credits his wife with translating and transcribing most of the stories in the collections. Great. Yeah. So, like many authors we've covered in this podcast, he was a member of and contributor to the Society for Psychical Research. Psychical. Psychical research. In fact, he's considered a founder of psychical research as a movement, uh, also known as parapsychology. Hmm. Uh, and he served as the president for the society in 1911. So, uh, this guy clearly deeply believed in like the paranormal and the supernatural love it um and uh, yeah and a lot of other authors that that we've read um have been a part of this organization Uh, i think Algernon blackwood was i'm fairly certain uh conan doyle was cool um so psychical research doesn't mean like psychology as we would think of it it means more like like psychics oh oh, psychic psychical the the brain energy yeah mediums and stuff yeah 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 cool. and they and they were they were dealing with um the th- sort of the science side of the supernatural mm-hmm. oh i love it trying to come up with scientific explanations for it. they would have been the ghostbusters i was just gonna say yes it sounds very very ghostbusters yeah. um makes for much more interesting stories too than, oh yeah you know just, yeah just this realm is uh can can be boring. Well, and it means when you were reading these people's their their ghost stories and their sort of fantasy tales, it's it's not you don't run into as much of the well, it was magic and that's why it worked, and you get a lot more of the trying to find the scientific explanation for it cool. because in addition to writing a fantastical story, they're also trying to justify their belief that this could be real. Right. I mean, it is wild if you think about it, like that there was a time in human history where people would look up at the sky and be like, why does the sun move across the sky as the day progresses? It's magic. And then eventually like science explained it. So it just makes me wonder like what things about 
life right now that we just think of like, oh, there's no explanation. It's just that's something mysterious that that like maybe one day we will have explanations we'll have, for. Have the science answer. That's for the psychical research people. Yeah. To figure out. <laughs> uh, so Lang was also an early adopter of the crossover fan fiction genre. Uh, in fact, he he wrote a collection of these crossover fan fiction stories called Old Friends Essays in <laughs> uh, Epistolary Parody, where characters from different authors would meet each other, Whoa. including one of those stories, which was based on Northanger by Jane Austen and uh, Jane Eyre by Charlotte Bronte. Ooh, that's fun. And those those characters yeah. interact. Yeah. Oh, I love it. Uh, so he died in 1912. He was 68 years old, had some sort of a heart condition, and his wife published his last couple of books posthumously. Cool. Uh, today's story, the story of the fisherman and his wife, appeared in his Green Fairy book, published in 1892, and is considered a classic today. Oh, yay! So, let's start this fire. The Story of the Fisherman and His Wife by Andrew Lang There was once a fisherman and his wife who lived together in a little hut close to the sea. And the See, fi- that's a very descriptive, yeah. appropriate first line. <laughs> I love it. Takes the title right there, yep. Fisherman and His Wife. Beautiful. Well done. <laughs> Sets the scene. Yep. And the fisherman used to go down every day to fish. And well, he would that's fish what they do. And fish. <laughs> So he used to sit with his rod and gaze into the shining water, and he would gaze and gaze. <laughs> Go down to the lake and sit with his rod. <laughs> Sorry. Like, wait, are you la- are you laughing at rod or gaze, gaze, gaze? <laughs> no, I was I was already laughing by the time gaze came around because it's just making me because think I'm of- a ten year old. Um, it's making me think of that that Louis C.K. bit. Scandal noted, everyone. Scandal noted. Um, aside from that, though, <laughs> have you seen this bit that Louis C.K. has where it's it's just a, a parody of um, sitting on the dock of the bay and it's sitting on a cock because I'm gay. <laughs> it's just like, it's so... I actually don't remember... Oh, God. He talked about it in this special where he was talking to, like, other comedians, like Jerry Seinfeld and Chris Wright. It was, like, a comedian's roundtable. Mm-hmm. And I actually can't remember if that was his bit or if that was just, like, the bit that made him laugh the hardest. So I don't know who deserves credit for that genius, but, like, it's just so simple. It's so simple and it's so funny. Anyway, but that's, tonally, that's the opposite of the wholesome vibe that we're going for with the fisherman and his wife in this fairy tale, but it just made me think of it. <laughs> okay, What's so. What's the next line, though? Oh yeah, I don't know. It's it, it's a one line joke. It's just Watching that's the, the whole joke. <laughs> drip away. No. Okay, no mas, no mas. <laughs> <laughs> so he used to sit with his rod and gaze into the shining water, and he would gaze and gaze. Now once the line was pulled deep under the water, and when he hauled it up, he hauled a large flounder with it. The flounder said to him. Listen, fisherman, I pray you to let me go. I am not a real flounder. I am an enchanted prince. What good will it do you if you kill me? I shall not taste nice. Put me back into the water and let me swim away. (laughs) I tried to do Scottish and it went a little Jamaican and I don't care. Okay. The most Jamaican Loch Ness monster ever caught. Okay, let, 
All right, right, all right. Well, let, let me see. If no, I, was, uh, I, let me I see if up, I can get. A I Scottish picked up one. Scottish immediately. Okay, it was good. it was good. It it wasn't it wasn't Sean Connery Scottish, which yeah. is fine. It <laughs> it probably shouldn't be. <laughs> Wait, let me do my best here. Okay. Well, said the man, you need not make so much noise about it. I am sure I had much better let a flounder that can talk swim away. I don't know. Whatever. Great. No, it's good. I like it. With these words, he put him back. Dodgy accents are the hallmark of this show. You know that. (laughs) With these words, he put him back again into the shining water and the flounder sank to the bottom, leaving a long streak of blood behind. Oh, because the hook. Oh, yeah. Then the fisherman got up and went home to his wife in the hut. Husband, said his wife, have you caught nothing today? No, said the man. I caught a flounder who said he was an enchanted prince, so I let him swim away again. <laughs> Did you wish nothing from him? said his wife. No, said the man. What should I have wished from him? Ah, said the woman. It's dreadful to live all one's life in this hut that is so small and dirty. You ought to have wished for a cottage. Go now and call him. Say to him that we choose to have a cottage, and he will certainly give it you. He's a fish. I know. <laughs> What's he going to do? Climb out the water and build you a house? I know. I don't know. Alas, said the man, why should I go down there again? Why, said his wife, you caught him and then let him go again. So he is sure to give you what you ask. Go down quickly. The man did not like going at all, but as his wife was not to be persuaded, he went down to the sea. When he came there, the sea was quite green and yellow and was no longer shining. So he stood on the shore and said, Once a prince, but changed ye be into a flounder in the sea. Come, for my wife, Ilsabel, wishes what I dare not tell. Then the flounder came swimming up and said, Well, what does she want? <laughs> <laughs> Alas, said the man, My wife says I ought to have kept you and wished something from you. She does not want to live any longer in the hut. She would like a cottage. Go home then, said the flounder. She has it. So the man went home and there was his wife. No, no, this is going to be like a monkey's paw thing. Oh, for sure, for sure. This is, uh, dear regular listeners, you know (laughs) intimately what the monkey's paw thing is because we read that story a handful of months ago. Um, Nah, that one's so scary. Is that the one that Pet Cemetery is basically based off of? I don't know. Oh, do you know Stephen King's Pet Cemetery? I don't. It's essentially... I've never read the book and I haven't seen either of the two or three movies oh, based okay. on I'm, it. I'm pretty sure... I, I only know Monkey's Paw because I've heard that that's like the root tale that Stephen King was like working with and then he oh. did his own version. But it's basically the pet cemetery is this magical cemetery where if you bury a pet, it comes back to life, but it comes back like wrong. Like it comes back evil and haunted. And so this man, his young son dies and the neighbor warns him, like, don't be tempted by the pet cemetery. Like don't do it. But he digs up the the boy's body and puts him in the pet cemetery. And then he comes back like so scary and like fucked up. And it's a hard, I mean, it's a hard, hard I had no idea. That's what that movie or book was about. Cool. Yeah. Uh, sort of. Yeah. So monkey's paw, uh, guy gets a monkey's paw that grants him th- three wishes, yeah. but the wishes are granted in the most fucked up way imaginable. Exactly. Yeah. And it's, it's the story that is, um, sort of the root of the saying, be careful be what careful you, what wish, you for. wish for. Right. Yeah. Ooh, I'm 
scared. But like these characters, the, even the flounder is so cute. So I'm hoping I'm hoping it won't be that. Well, gnarly. I'm guessing. Let's I'm, see. I'm guessing it's a, a, a slightly less um, uh, abusive yeah. version of that. Although, like those Hans Christian Andersen fairy tales, some of them are real so dark. Like mm-hmm. Little Mermaid had to like walk on glass for her whole life or something crazy. Well, yeah, it was pretty she, dark. She it it hurt like she was walking on glass whenever she took a step, and when she yeah. failed to win the prince, she was turned into foam on the sea. Right, Ugh, like nope. she dies at the end. Yeah, we don't we don't love that. Uh, yeah, but let's see if this ends happier. So. The man went home, and there was his wife, no longer in the hut, but in its place was a beautiful cottage, and his wife was sitting in front of the door on a bench. She took him by the hand and said to him, Come inside and see if this is not much better. They went in, and inside the cottage was a tiny hall and a beautiful sitting room and a bedroom in which stood a bed, a kitchen, and a dining room all furnished with the best of everything and fitted up with every kind of tin and copper utensil. And outside was a little yard in which were chickens and ducks and also a little garden with vegetables and fruit trees. See, said the wife, isn't this nice? Yes, answered her husband. Here we shall remain and live very happily. We will think about that, said his wife. With these words, they had their supper and went to bed. All went well for a week or a fortnight. Then the wife said, Listen, husband, the cottage is much too small. And yeah. So, yeah, of course. And so is the yard and the garden. The flounder might just as well have sent us a larger house. I should like to live in a great stone castle. Go down to the flounder and tell him to send us a castle. Ah, oh, wife, said the fisherman. <laughs> the cottage is quite good enough. Why do we choose to live in a castle? Why, said the wife. You go down. The flounder can quite well do that. No wife, said the man. (laughs) No wife. (laughs) No wife. No wife, said the man. The flounder gave us the cottage. I do not like to go to him again. He might take it amiss. Just be happy with what you got. It's true. Yeah, and you, you got be, your you got you your got wish. The thing. Just let yeah. sleeping crazy pet cemetery dogs lie. <laughs> exactly. I think that's how the saying goes. Correct. Right? Absolutely. Let zombie dogs lie. <laughs> right. <laughs> go, said his wife. He can certainly give it us and ought to do so willingly. Go at once. The fisherman's heart was very heavy and he did not like going. He said to himself, It is not right. Still, he went down. Mm. Obedient hubby. When he came to the sea, the water was all violet and dark blue and dull and thick and no longer green and yellow, but it was still smooth. Mm, I don't like this. changing colors. I don't like this. (laughs) So he stood there and said, Once a prince, but changed ye be into a flounder in the sea. Come, for my wife, Ilsabel, wishes what I dare not tell. What does she want now? Said the flounder. (laughs) The flounder's tired. He's like, come on now, let me rest. Ah, said the fisherman, half ashamed. She wants to live in a great stone castle. Go home. She is standing before the door, said the flounder. The fisherman went home and thought he would find no house. When he came near, there stood a great stone palace, and his wife was standing on the steps about to enter. She took him by the hand and said, Come inside. Then he went with her. That's a lot of cleaning. A lot. Too much. 
Yeah. Also, yeah. like stone castles, they don't heat real nice. If it's just the two of you out in Scotland, whew, those winters are going to be nasty. It's true. Drafty. Very drafty. This doesn't sound very cozy. No. I, w- I wouldn't want this. The cottage sounded pretty nice, but I don't know about this. So then he went with her, and inside the castle was a large hall with a marble floor. Yeah, it's so cold. It's gonna be Marble's cold. cold. Yeah. Gotta- I mean, it'll be fine in the summer because, like, yeah. if it's in the shade, the marble's yeah. gonna stay nice and cool. That'll be nice. But right. oof. But then, Scotland's got they, some gnarly ass winters. And then if they have a baby, the baby could fall in the marble. You gotta have a soft rug. Anyway, um, a large hall with a marble floor, and there were heaps of servants who threw open the great doors. Okay, so they don't have to uh, clean. Came with servants. Yep. All right, good. So now they have slaves. <laughs> and the walls were covered with beautiful tapestry, and in the apartments were gilded chairs and tables, and crystal chandeliers hung from the ceiling, and all the rooms were beautifully carpeted. Okay, that's better. Gilded just means covered in gold, right? Correct. Okay, yeah. They got gold tables and chairs. The best of food. That's ostentatious. (laughs) Right. Not my favorite accent color, gold. No. No, no, no. I'm not a huge fan. No, me neither. If it's going to be metallic, I prefer silver. Well, it is tricky, though, depending on what we're talking about. Because when it comes to jewelry, with my skin tone, I look best with a gold little bit of jewelry rather than silver. But in a room, I don't know. A table and chair, that's just like a lot of metal shining at you. Right. That's a lot of color. But I just generally, like jewelry aside, I generally think if if there's a, a piece of furniture or, um, uh, I don't know, really anything that's got a, a metallic accent, I tend to prefer silver as the metallic accent to gold. All right. You would not like this, uh, this would, castle? This would, this would be a little much. The best of food and drink also was set before them when they wished to dine. And outside the house was a large courtyard with horse and cow stables and a coach house, all fine buildings, and a splendid garden with most beautiful flowers and fruit. And in a park quite a league long were deer and roe and hares and everything one could wish for. What's a roe? I don't know. R-O-E. But I can look at R-O-E. Yeah. And a league long, is that like, how long is a league? Ah, a row is a kind of deer. Oh, okay, great. Um, a league is five and a half kilometers. Okay. So three and change miles. Oh, Lordy. All right. So they had everything one could wish for. Now, said the wife, isn't this beautiful? Yes, indeed, said the fisherman. Now we will stay here and live in this beautiful castle and be very happy. We will consider the matter, said his uh, wife, <laughs> and they went to bed. God damn it. Oh, God. The next Jesus morning. Jesus Christ, woman, just take the, your fucking castle. The next morning, the wife woke up first at daybreak and looked out of the bed at the beautiful country stretched before her. Her husband was still sleeping, so she dug her elbows in his side <laughs> and said, that's a rude way to wake him up. Husband, get up and look out of the window. Could we not become the king of all this land? Jesus. Go down to the flounder and tell him we choose to be king. Ah, wife, replied her husband. Why should we be king? I don't want to be king. Well, said his wife, if you don't want to be king, I will be king. Go down to the flounder. I will be king. I think this story should be subtitled, Ah, wife. (laughs) Yeah, right. Uh, The next line is, Alas, wife, said the fisherman. (laughs) 
alas, wife. And said the fisherman, why do you want to be king? I can't ask him that. And why not? Said his wife. Go down at once. I must be king. So the fisherman went, though much vexed that his wife wanted to be king. It is not right. It is not right, he thought. He did not wish to go, yet he went. When he came to the sea, the water was a dark gray color, and it was heaving against the shore. So he stood and said, Once a prince, but changed ye be into a flounder in the sea. Come, for my wife, Ilsabel, wishes what I dare not tell. What does she want now? asked the flounder. (laughs) Ah, for fuck's sake. Literally, it's a for fuck's sake. (laughs) Alas, said the fisherman, she wants to be king. Go home. She is that already, said the flounder. I want to point out that at this point, the flounder's debt for his life has been thrice repaid. Like, Like, it was over the first wish he granted. So the fisherman went home. And when he came near the palace, he saw that it had become much larger and that it had great towers and splendid ornamental carvings on it. A sentinel was standing before the gate and there were numbers of soldiers with kettle drums and trumpets. And when he went into the palace, he found everything was of pure marble and gold and the curtains of damask with tassels of gold. Oh God, now we got to feed all these people. (laughs) And the doors of the hall flew open, and there stood the whole court round his wife, who was sitting on a high throne of gold and diamonds. She wore a great golden crown, and had a scepter of gold and precious stones in her hand, and by her on either side stood six pages in a row, each one a head taller than the other. Then he went before her and said, "'Ah, wife, are ye king now?' "'Yes,' said his wife, "'now I am king.' He stood looking at her, and when he had looked for some time, he said, Let that be enough, wife, now that ye are king. Now we have nothing more to wish for. Nay, husband, said his wife restlessly, my wishing powers are boundless. I cannot restrain them any longer. Go down to the flounder. King I am, now I must be emperor. Alas, wife, said the fisherman. I'm the king of the world. Right. Why do you want to be emperor? Husband, said she, go to the flounder. I will be emperor. Ah, uh, wife. Some hard Lady Mac vibes. Yeah, right? I mean, I, I'm all for women in positions of power. I love it. But this this ain't it. <laughs> this ain't it. Like, <laughs> you've, well, and part of it, part of the reason this this is, is so um, rubbing the wrong way is because what you got is a person rising to power through actions that they had nothing to do with. Right. She didn't save the fish and she's not going right. down to do the legwork yep. of, of actually getting the wishes. She's just yep. pushing someone else to do all yep. of the work. That's so true. To get repaid for someone else's good deed. <gasps> so true. It's Lady Mac being like, I I couldn't kill him. He looked too much like my father. Go do it. Yeah. Go do it because I want to be queen. Oh, yes. Oh, I love it. And what is that play? That's the Scottish play. Look at that. Look at that. Wow, connections. Mm, maybe the, the Scots know something about yeah. um, people who push for power they don't deserve. Yeah. I mean, it's also making me think of, um, of uh, like in the Lord of the Rings when they're talking about the rings of power and they're, everyone's always just like, men are weak. Like the men didn't stand a chance. Yeah. <laughs> Eight of them went to men and th- they were the first to fall because <laughs> we can't, we cannot be trusted with power. <laughs> we simply can't. Nope. So he says, ah, wife, he said, he cannot make you emperor. I don't like to ask him that. 
there's only one emperor in the kingdom. Indeed and indeed, he cannot make you emperor. What? said his wife. I am king and you're my husband. Will you go at once? Go! If he can make king, he can make emperor. An emperor I must and will be. Go! So he had to go. But as he went, he felt quite frightened, and he thought to himself, This can't be right. To be emperor is too ambitious. The flounder will be tired out at last. Thinking this, he came to the shore. The sea was quite black and thick, and it was breaking high on the beach. The foam was flying about, and the wind was blowing. Everything looked bleak. The fisherman was chilled with fear. He stood and said, "'Once a prince, but changed ye be into a flounder in the sea. "'Come, for my wife, Ilsabel, wishes what I dare not tell.' "'What does she want now?' asked <laughs> Flounder. "'Alas, Flounder,' he said, "'my wife wants to be emperor.' "'Go home,' said the Flounder. "'She is that already. "'Now why does this Flounder keep complying?' "'This is what I want to know.' Because if he's a magical being, presumably he has wisdom. Why does he keep granting her wishes? Well, he doesn't doesn't necessarily have wisdom because as the fisherman's wife has shown, it is possible to gain power without wisdom. True, true. Oh, flounder. Don't keep saying yes. (laughs) Like he was just a human prince that got turned into a flounder. So I don't know where his magic powers are coming from, but he's got all the same failings. Maybe he was just a dopey prince. Yeah. Yeah. Just some dumbass. <laughs> the moral of the story is humans are dumbasses. So the fisherman went home, and when he came there, he saw the whole castle was made of polished marble, ornamented with alabaster statues and gold. Before the gate, soldiers were marching, blowing trumpets and beating drums. Inside the palace were walking barons, counts, and dukes, acting as servants. They opened the door, which was of beaten gold, and when he entered, he saw his wife upon a throne which was made out of a single block of gold, and which was quite six cubits high. She had on a great golden crown, which was three yards high, my God, and set with brilliance and sparkling gems. In one hand, she held a scepter, and in the other, the imperial globe, and on either side of her stood two rows of halberdiers? Halberdiers. 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 The halberdiers are the soldiers that have those long axes. Um, How tall was the throne? Six cubits high. All right. So that's nine feet. Oh, my God. Oh, and her hat, her hat, her crown um, was three yards high. Which is also also nine feet. feet. Yeah. (laughs) Three yards high. Good Lord. I'm like, that thing better be made of feathers, or I don't know how she's keeping her neck upright, but okay. Um, so yes, this, this whole this whole arrangement, this whole arrangement wild. is highly impractical. <laughs> oh my god. Um the halberd the halberdiers is making me think of a story that my grandfather once told me about a production, a Shakespeare production he was in when he was in uh college. Uh my grandpa was a, a stage actor for his whole life. But in one of his first shows, he was like a spear carrier in a Shakespeare show. <laughs> and something happened in the show, I forget, but it was some kind of like mess up. Somebody's like pants ripped or something. And he started giggling, but because he was a 
halberdier, the like the the spear was wobbling all the way to the top with every giggle, and then then his like the guys next to him started laughing, and then it was just this like quivering mass of spears. I know, I love that image. So it was a bunch of shake spears. <gasps> oh snap! Oh yes, you could say it was a bunch of shake spears. <laughs> Oh, that was delightful. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, anytime I hear any talk of like halberds or like spear carriers, I always think about that. How they have to be so still because like any movement gets picked up by the <laughs> by the thing. Um, okay, so on the side of this this not queen, this emperor, stood two rows of halberdiers, each smaller than the other, from a seven foot giant to the tiniest little dwarf, no higher than my little finger. I think they prefer little people. True. True. <laughs> Speaking of, we wait, gotta, no higher than my little finger. Yeah, that's like Tom Thumb shit. That's, Tom Thumb, yeah. All right. She got Thumbelina and the Giants. Many princes and dukes were standing before her. The fisherman went up to her quietly and said, "Wife, are you emperor now?" "Yes," said she. "I am emperor." He stood looking at her magnificence, and when he had watched her for some time, he said. Ah, wife, let that be enough, now that ye are emperor. Husband, said she, why are you standing there? I am emperor now, and I want to be pope, too. Go down to the flounder. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Easy there, Akhenaten. That's not how this works. That was a really delightful laugh. Alas, wife, said the fisherman, what more do you want? You cannot be pope. There is only one pope in the Christendom, and he cannot make you that. Husband, said she, I will be pope. Go down quickly. I must be pope today. No, wife, said the fisherman. I can't ask him that. It is not right. It is too much. The flounder cannot make you pope. Husband, what nonsense, said his wife. If if he can make me emperor, he can make pope too. Go down this instant. I am emperor and you are my husband. Will you be off at once? So he was frightened and went out. But he felt quite faint and trembled and shook and his knees and legs began to give way under him. The wind was blowing fiercely across the land and the clouds flying across the sky looked as gloomy as if it were night. The leaves were being blown from the trees. The water was foaming and seething and dashing upon the shore. And in the distance, he saw the ships in great distress, dancing and tossing on the waves. Still, the sky was very blue in the middle, although at the sides, it was an angry red as in a great storm. Dude, read the room. Read the world. Listen to nature. Just go. Hey. Hey, fish that used to be a dude, I wish you to put everything back the way it was. Literally. And I wish for you to make you a prince. Yep. (laughs) So he stood shuddering in anxiety and said, once a prince, but changed you be into a flounder in the sea. I liked your your way better, though. What was it? Fish that used to be a dude. (laughs) Hey. Hey, guy. Hey, guy. Come here. (laughs) Come, for my wife, Ilsebel, wishes what I dare not tell. Well, what does she want now? asked the flounder. Alas, said the fisherman, she wants to be Pope. Go home then, 
she is that already, said the flounder. <laughs> then he went home. I'll tell you what, in the stage version of this, the flounder uh-huh. has the easiest job of any actor ever given. Absolutely. Because two lines repeated yep. over and over yep. again. What she want now? All right, we'll go home. She's got it. It is done. Yeah, it's a total princess track. And then just like hanging out backstage eating snacks. And it's like, am I on? <laughs> okay, I got to go do it. <laughs> got to go say my two lines again. Then he went home. And when he came there, he saw, as it were, a large church surrounded by palaces. He pushed his way through the people. The interior was lit up with thousands and thousands of candles. And his wife was dressed in cloth of gold and was sitting on a much higher throne. And she wore three great golden crowns. How in the world? How? <laughs> I don't know. How? <laughs> How do you? Well, are they concentric? Are they yeah, stacked they on top be. of each other? Otherwise, she had to have wished for a reinforced neck because that's not going to, that's not going to hold. Is she doing the Princess Leia thing with a crown on top and then one crown over each ear? Oh, that's a good look. That's a good look. Yeah, I hope so. <laughs> That'd be a pretty baller way to be Pope. Round her were two numbers of church dignitaries, and on either side were standing two rows of tapers, the largest of them as tall as a steeple, and the smallest as tiny as a Christmas tree candle. All the emperors and kings were on their knees before her and were kissing her foot. Wife, said the fisherman looking at her, are you Pope now? Yes, said she, I am Pope. So he stood staring at her, and it was as if he were looking at the bright sun. When he had watched her for some time, he said, Ah, wife, let it be enough now that you are Pope. But she sat as straight as a tree and did not move or bend the least bit. He said again, Wife, be content now that you are Pope. You cannot become anything more. We will think about that, said his wife. (laughs) Oh, God. With these words, they went to bed, but the woman was not content. Her greed would not allow her to sleep, and she kept on thinking and thinking what she could still become. The fisherman slept well and soundly, for he had done a great deal that day. (laughs) But his wife could not sleep at all, and turned from one side to another the whole night long, and thought, till she could think no longer, what more she could become. When the sun began to rise, and when she saw the red dawn, she went to the end of the bed and looked at it, And as she was watching the sun rise out of the window, she thought, Ha! Could I not make the sun and man rise? Husband, said she, poking him in the ribs with her elbows, Wake up! Go down to the flounder! I will be a god! The fisherman was still half asleep, yet he was so frightened that he fell out of bed. He thought he had not heard aright, and opened his eyes wide and said, What did you say, wife? Husband, said she, if I cannot make the sun and man rise when I appear, I cannot rest. I shall never have a quiet moment till I can make the sun and man rise. He looked at her in horror, and a shudder ran over him. Go down at once. I will be a god. Alas, wife, said the fisherman, falling on his knees before her. The flounder cannot do that. Emperor and Pope, he can make you. I implore you, be content and remain Pope. Then she flew into a passion. Her hair hung wildly about her face. She pushed him with her foot and screamed, I am not contented and I shall not be contented. Will you go? 
So he hurried on his clothes as fast as possible and ran away as if he were mad. But the storm was raging so fiercely that he could scarcely stand. Houses and trees were being blown down, the mountains were being shaken, and pieces of rock were rolling in the sea. The sky was as black as ink. It was thundering and lightning, and the sea was tossing in great waves as high as church towers and mountains, and each had a white crest of foam. So he shouted, not able to hear his own voice, "'Once a prince, but changed ye be into a flounder in the sea. "'Come, for my wife, Ilsabel, wishes what I dare not tell.' "'Well, what does she want now?' asked the flounder. "'Alas,' said he, "'she wants to be a god.' "'Go home, then. She is sitting again in the hut.' And there they are sitting to this day. The end. What? 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 Okay. So she went up and up and up and up and up and up and up until she reached a god. And then the flounder said, okay, now she's a god and she's sitting in the hut. And so then they went back to the hut. So. Huh. Is the implication that um, when you are the woman of your own house, you are like unto a god? Possibly. is the implication that the flounder said, all right, bitch, enough's enough. I'm putting you back (laughs) in your place. (laughs) Uh, Right. Yeah. You know what? I, I think... I think it's the second one because he says, alas, she wants to be a god. And the flounder says, go home then. She is sitting again in the hut. So he's just like, she wants to be a god. And he doesn't say, oh, it's already done. He always said, it's already done. Now mm-hmm. she's the Pope. Now He's like, she wants to be God. He says, all right, go home. Now she's sitting in the hut again. Like I have brought it all back because that was too far. Yep. Yeah. Cool. All right. The moral of that story is don't push a fish. Correct. (laughs) Don't fuck with flounder. It's it's something about catch and release. (laughs) Well, but also I like, I mean, for a fairy tale, like, and as we were saying, fairy tales can get pretty dark and they are morality tales. So you think that like the person who does the bad thing over and over and over again is going to get their punishment and their comeuppance. But I like that. Like, at the end of the day, yes, she's the villain of the story because she keeps reaching higher and higher, but that's, she's all of humanity. Like, we do that by our very nature. So I like that her punishment is just, nope, you don't get any of these big fancy things. You get to be in your hut where you belong because you are a mere mortal and you can't, you you don't get to be all these things. And I like that, that like the the slap on the wrist is just, I'm taking away your big crowns. (laughs) But she didn't have to like die or be, you know, gruesomely fall from any great height. The fish was just like, nope. Yeah. (laughs) Which I like. That was a nice one. There's a very similar one about a woodsman and his wife. And I don't remember the whole thing. Oh yeah. But like he goes out into the, um, he goes out into the woods to chop down a tree and from inside the tree, there's a voice and it says, please don't chop down the tree. It's my home. Uh-huh. If you don't chop down the tree, I'll grant you three wishes. Uh-huh. And um, he's like, oh, OK, that's that's great. Then um, for my first wish. Uh, what, what was it? Uh, 
was it for my first wish um i wish we had uh all of the the meat that we could possibly eat or something like that okay yeah, yeah. So he goes home and for my second wish i want all the money in the world oh, yeah, okay that's great but he and his wife are still arguing and bickering over silly little things and at one point he looks at his wife and he says i wish this sausage were stuck on your nose oh. and the sausage gets like oh, yeah. stuck on <laughs> on her nose and i don't i don't actually remember how it all turns out even but it's something about like be careful what you wish for yeah. don't be greedy yeah. i just don't remember Oh no, she got the sausage nose. She got a sausage <laughs> nose. Yeah. I just know that, yeah. I don't remember. I liked that though. Yeah. The repetition was fun. Like I can definitely see it in a, a kid's book of the, yeah. the kids like, and then what did the fish say? And it's like, fish who once used to be a prince. Like that the kids yeah. would learn all the refrains and say them over and yeah. over. And there's also an uh an Aesop's fable about it. Oh, I'm sure, yeah. Um, where it's uh a dog is going home. Uh, he's got he got a nice big juicy bone in his mouth and he's he's walking home and crosses crosses he's there's a river that he crosses um when he goes home and one day the, the river was very calm and he's crossing the bridge and he looks down and he sees his reflection but he thinks it's another dog with oh. a big juicy bone and so he opens his mouth to steal the other dog's bone oh, and he and loses he his, his bone oh, oh no that one's so sad he just doesn't know he's just a dopey dog yeah but he was gonna steal the other dog's bone yeah you're right you're right he should have just been satisfied. He should have been happy with his we bone. We can't ask that with we can't ask that of a pupper, but I get that it's a metaphor for it's a, it's humanity. A <laughs> it's a metaphor. That dog never really existed. I'm concerned about this dog. <laughs> I'm concerned about this entirely fictional dog. Well, it's Don't also again greedy. again you Don't have made me care about him because you will lose what you have and need. Don't be greedy. Oh. Don't be greedy for you may lose all yes. through your greed. Yes. That is from the Smothers Brothers, Aesop's Fables. Oh. Um, (laughs) You familiar with the Smothers Brothers? No. Oh. They're um, Tommy and Dickie Smothers were a song and comedy duo from back in the 1950s, 60s maybe. Uh, And they released an album that was song versions of Aesop's Fables. Oh. That's cute. Yeah. It's great fun. Uh, hey, listener, you should listen to that. It's cool. And yeah. it will give you a little peek into my childhood and personal psyche. <laughs> um, <clears throat> cool. So that's the story. That was lovely. That's our game. That was that lovely. Was fun. It was fun. Good job. Thanks. Uh, what do you think, listener? Did you like that fairy tale? Or did it confuse you kind of the way it confused me a little bit? I'm still a little torn about that ending. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Let us know what you thought. Uh, once again, l- let us know how you did in the game uh, at the beginning of the episode. Let us know if you're interested in more play at home games like that. Uh, Next time I'll quiz Ken so he can be embarrassed. <laughs> all right, cool. That just means you have to do the work of finding the stories. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, Oh, and and let me know if you want to see the return of True Crimes and a Lie, um, because I'll get around to it sometime. But if people push for it, it might happen sooner. Um, Oh, and if any listeners are in Connecticut anytime soon, Ken's got a couple shows left. Yeah, I got one one weekend left in Norwalk, Connecticut. Uh, for the the Buddy Holly musical. So, um, I saw it. It is simply delightful. 
You got to see it. It's a silly good time. It's great. It's great. It's just a, it's a bunch of dopey actors up on stage pretending to be rock stars for a couple hours. It's wonderful. <laughs> um, Ken's hair is like flop. It's just flopping around the stage the whole time. It's very cute. Well, I mean, that's all I ever do when I act. Yeah. All of my acting power <laughs> is in the floppiness of my hair. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I think that's it. We did all the stuff. Groovy. Um, Listeners. Be satisfied with what you have. Be satisfied with yeah. what you have. I mean, um, also have ambitions, though. You know, oh, that's great uh, too, and this but. week's passcode, in case you want to send a special message to let us know that you made it um, this far through the story, this week's passcode is, listen, bitch, enough's enough. Oh, well, <laughs> strong language warning. <laughs> uh, there's already a strong language warning at the beginning of every <laughs> single episode. I know. It's there. If you've made it this far and didn't know that we swear sometimes. <laughs> um, uh, any parting shots? No. No. All right. That's well, then, lovely. thanks for listening. And until next week, this has been Campfire Classics, where we try to read those books that look really good on your shelf. I kind of petered out at the end. <laughs> 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 <laughs>